Well, today we have a special guest. For those who uh, were at the earlier service, you, you got to hear him preach and serve. Um, but for those at the 11 o'clock service, today we have Bishop Vonax. Bishop Janis Vonax from the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Latvia. And it is a great pleasure for us to have Bishop here today. Today for uh, class, he's going to speak on the Latvian Lutheran Church. Um, I have a couple questions also. For those who are at the 830, you might have noticed he wore a special hat. <laughs> and uh, we all need to be educated on that for uh, our future bishops who come and visit us. But, um, uh, Bishop, there's a great introduction in the bulletin if you haven't ha seen it, but the Archbishop Vonix has been Bishop of the Latvian Lutheran Church since 1993. Um, I can tell you right now, our other friend from Russia, Bishop Litkin, uh, really credits Bishop Vonix for um, getting connected with the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate and, and just the development of his faith. So, even though we, we have yet to meet Bishop Vonox, we've actually seen the effects of his faithfulness to the church, not only in Latvia, but also in Siberia, and then here also in the United States. So, um, please welcome Bishop Vonox. Oh, uh, let me pray first. <laughs> in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the great shepherd of your church, and you raise up under-shepherds to lead in your footsteps. Bless Bishop in his faithful service to you. Bless his congregations with the Holy Spirit that they might be enlivened to follow in those same footsteps. And bless us now as we receive his uh, wisdom and his instruction. Free live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Good morning. Does the mic work? Yes. Yeah, it does. So thank you for such a kind introduction. Yes, my name is Janis Vanax. If it is not hard to pronounce, uh, it can be translated into English. That in English it would mean John Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> some, of the, uh, some people say that's my church political position. Uh, thank you for welcoming uh, me here in your... A uh, wonderful church. I wish our churches had such nice premises for fellowship. Uh, in Latvia, usually when you go into the church, then you are in the nave, and behind the nave are sacristies maybe, and nothing more, so it's not, not really a place to meet for people like here. Uh, so, and I really appreciated the service this morning. Uh, the liturgy is beautiful here. Very well done, thank you. And now uh, I have the opportunity to tell more about Latvian uh, Lutheran Church. Uh, if you know where Latvia is, <laughs> do you? <laughs> <laughs> you know that Baltics, it's where the mountains are and Croatia is nearby. And, uh, no, that's Balkans. <laughs> <laughs> Baltic is Baltics is somewhere between Russia and Sweden and Finland. This this spot on the earth, Lat we Latvians always say we are a small country, but then uh, you could place a superposition uh, Latvia by territory on top of it, Slovenia, uh, Belgium, and some other 
European country, so it's not so small after all. It just has a very uh, thin population. As uh, this was an area on uh, uh, permanent wars and occupations, and uh, people were killed and deported to Siberia, and so we lost. Uh, and now, after liberation, many people simply left. Uh, uh, Latvia to look for better jobs. So Latvians are scattered everywhere and even here in Chicago is a pretty big, uh, oh, I said in Chicago, sorry. <laughs> I don't know about uh, Wheaton, but the, uh, <laughs> that neighboring town there, you know, you have noticed it. <laughs> uh, so it has a pretty big uh, Latvian community. The Latvian Lutheran Church is <clears throat> uh, quite unique because on one hand, it is one of the oldest Lutheran churches in the world. Uh, actually, uh, some German church historians even argue that maybe after, after Wittenberg, Riga, our capital city, was the first city of reformation in the world. Because uh, in 1952, just one year after uh, Luther stood in Worms and said his famous words, here I stand, uh, so, uh, after one year, similar uh, occasion happened in Riga when our reformer Andreas Knopken stood in St. Peter's in Riga uh, and had a debate with Jesuit or with Roman Catholic theologians, and he was so convincing that the city council of Riga uh, decided to embrace reformation and they fired all the 30. A Catholic priest from St. Peter's and appointed Andreas Knopken to be the one Lutheran <laughs> rector of that church. So from there, Reformation spread uh, throughout the Baltic region, and uh, so it is a very old Lutheran church. Uh, well, on the other hand, Latvia, nobody spoke uh, about Latvia in the 13th century, and it was a different kind of descriptions of that uh, area, but uh, the territory was one of the last in Europe that was Christianized, and it was a uh, uh, very strong uh, tradition of practicing different kind of magics, and even people came from Spain, I guess even from Portugal, <laughs> to, <laughs> uh, to Latvia to consult to consult the Latvian warlocks and, and uh, fortune tellers and so on. So it was a very tough mission field. And also Latvia experienced, uh, so to say, the change of the mission paradigm which happened in Rome about that time, about 12th century, that the, the peaceful mission was, uh, as, uh, well, replaced with, with, with um, conquering the land. So maybe you have heard about crusades going to Jerusalem but maybe not everybody knows that the Third Crusade went to Baltics. Uh, uh, so uh, since then, uh, Christianity actually in the people's memory is still living as a religion of conquerors and oppressors, and this is, uh, makes our work quite difficult sometimes because we are uh, re perceived like alien maybe a bit uh, sometimes, even though... Uh, and uh, the other thing is which uh, made this uh, impression maybe is that uh, the church, the Lutheran church, was governed mostly by Germans. 
the Germans conquered the land in uh, the 12th, 13th century. It was completed, the conquest. And uh, uh, you know that the situation of peasants in Europe was in general, generally was very difficult. And in Latvia, it was not di no different. It was maybe even sometimes a bit better than uh, average in Europe, but still uh, this time is remembered as 700 years of slavery. Uh, and also in the church, uh, there were local barons who decided everything, and so there were no voting assemblies whatsoever. Uh, so, and uh, uh, then in 1918, uh, it was the end of the First World War where Russian Empire crumbled and uh, the revolution took place in, in St. Petersburg in, in, in Russia. That, well, and in this situation, Latvia managed to break free from all empires and for the first time since 13th century uh, proclaim its own state, Latvians formed their own state, uh, the Republic of Latvia. And with that, uh, it was also the moment when the church, the Lutheran church from existing already Lutheran congregations uh, in Latvia and also from big number of refugees who, who were then in, 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 in Russia, <coughs> the Latvian Lutheran church was formed in this period, and it was completed with election of a bishop, uh, a first bishop in 1922. And this was an interesting moment in our church history because uh, before that, uh, the church was governed uh, by superintendents. Well, uh, we didn't spoke about, or they didn't spoke about bishops at that time. But you know, what is a superintendent? Uh, in, in process of reformation in Germany, uh, uh, when uh, the Roman bishops refused to ordain uh, pastors for uh, for the Lutherans, so they finally we uh, tried to somehow to get this episcopal oversight ministry, but they were not allowed to use the term bishop. Uh, because the bishop, according to state constitution, was also a prince. He was head of a state. It was a church state at that time, the bishopric. And so Lutherans were not allowed to use this term bishop. So they translated the Greek word episkopos, the overseer, into Latin, uh, superintendence. So they just changed the word, but kept the uh, kept, uh, kept, uh, kept, uh, function. Uh, but, uh, uh, well, uh, what happened in Germany, then the, there were attempts to keep the bishops in the so-called apostolic succession. You mean, uh, you know that, uh, that by blessing the bishops, well, that Jesus blew on his disciples and received Holy Spirit, I give you the power of keys. Uh, and uh, so, and then the bishops consecrated and gave this uh, power or this gift of Holy Spirit to other bishops and so uh, from um, our days, uh, this is concerned the one aspect of apostolic succession laying on hands, the chain, unbroken chain from the days of Jesus. The other uh, aspect is a succession of doctrine, of course, because this laying on, on hands is, was meant to preserve the right doctrine. 
and not just for uh, some uh, outward sign. And then the third strand of apostolic succession is the succession of the sea, uh, that the congregations um, founded by apostles and then their descendants are there f forever. They, 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 uh, this is a three strands of apostolic succession. And this didn't work in Germany because of some political reasons. The reformers attempted to do so, but, but uh, the Roman bishops uh, refused to consecrate their bishops. So this uh, chain of laying on hands was broken. The, the doctrine was preserved. And, uh, but it, uh, it, it happened, it was possible in Sweden, where all the, uh, if you go to Sweden and you read those lists of uh, priests on the wall, you would not find the, the, uh, the line where Roman Catholic priests end and uh, Lutheran priests start, because it was just, there was no upheaval, there was no war. Uh, and uh, so they just retained, just as Melanchthon says in our Lutheran confessions, our goal is to retain the canonical church government with, with office of bishops. We just couldn't manage it, but they managed in Sweden. And when our church elected our, our first bishop, first we, there was a big debate, do we need it all? Maybe that could be just a sort of council or with the president or so, but then our church fathers voted, no, we want a bishop. Maybe that was because at that time the relationships with Germans were quite tense uh, after those 700 years. And uh, our church uh, decided to follow the Swedish model and our first bishop was consecrated uh, by the famous Swedish archbishop Nathan Sederblom. So uh, since then, more or less, with some problems during the Soviet time, our bishops stand in apostolic succession. So therefore, the hats. <laughs> so it was a long, long attempt to explain the hats. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, to be in apostolic succession, it means not the kind of magic power you uh, uh, possess, but you are incorporated in the uh, um, universal college of bishops. So you do this episcopal oversight collectively with all other bishops, just as Luther says in, in uh, Schmalkald articles, the church can never be better governed than when all the bishops are equal in, in one uh, college and do that uh, with their different gifts. So it does not run so well, you know. Uh, but in theory, that's the best way. And uh, so there are also outward signs for this uh, incorporation in this uh, college of bishops. And this is not only geographically, but also on timeline that there is unbroken continuation in the timeline. So if you go to um, uh, cathedral in Koblenz, for instance, you see those bishops, bishop, oh, come to Regan, don't go to Koblenz. There we have this, our first, uh, the first bishop in our territory who was proclaimed the saint by Roman church, uh, Saint Maynard. He's buried in the wall uh, of our cathedral, just like me with a cope, mitre, and crozier. I didn't bring my crozier here. 
But uh, the mitre is a bishop's uh, head cover since about at least 8th century. So and it does not somehow characterize me, but it, it points at the, uh, at the uh, thing, that, at the fact that I stand in a kind of college of bishops since very early times. It's just an outward sign that I'm... So this is a philosophy of ecclesiology or um, teaching about the church. And uh, so uh, what is church? What is church? What does it mean to be in right uh, uh, relationships with God, for instance? St. Paul says, the one who is in Jesus Christ has no condemnation. Do you remember Romans 8.1? And so what, how can a man or a woman be inside of Christ, in Jesus Christ? What does that mean? So the most important thing in, in, in uh, salvation history was uh, the incarnation of God. Word, word became flesh. So Jesus taught and did most important things being in a body. And then he departed to heaven. And what then? Where is his body? And we know his body by St. Paul is a church. Church is the body where Christ lives on earth nowadays. To be in Christ means to be in his body, in, in his church. And the church is left on, on, on instituted here on the earth to continue the work of Christ. And what Christ did, he was, he was uh, serving the hungry and needy and oppressed and possessed. That was one part of his uh, ministry. He was doing the public ministry. He was, well, celebrating. So he celebrated the first mass. Uh, and he was also uh, a witness. Uh, and these th three things uh, contain, uh, uh, well, they have Greek names, diakonia, the service, uh, liturgia, that means the public ministry, and martyria, that means the witness. And so the church has uh, one, uh, one uh, holy ministry in three parts, diakonia, deacons, uh, liturgia, that's priests or pastors, and martyria, that's uh, mostly bishops uh, as, a, as a, mm, uh, witnesses of the church. Uh, so this is how it, uh, how it is perceived and works in our church uh, regarding the holy office and the church. So uh, what happened after the uh, after the occupation by Soviets, that was a really uh, very tough time for our church. It was a very tragic time for our country, for our people. Uh, who is the worst person in the world, in the history, for you? Hitler. Uh, Adolf Hitler, everybody would say. Yeah, uh, yeah that uh, irritates us a bit. Because in our history, uh, communists were much, much worse and much more brutal than, than Nazis. Uh, so, uh, in a way, uh, the, uh, Latvia was occupied in 1940 and until, on, until 1941, 
uh, the 14th of June, where the big deportation started, uh, 16,000 people were deported in one night in cattle cars to Siberia, and very few of them came back. And so it went on and on uh, until in two weeks later, uh, the Germans arrived, the Nazis arrived, and they were even <laughs> perceived as liberators, as saviors, you know. Uh, they kicked those bloody communists out. And so, mm, but then of course soon we realized they are no friends either. <laughs> so, and then they were forth and back, you know, and uh, our church lost 80% of our clergy at, over this period. Uh, most of them were killed or sent to Siberia. Part of them fled to the Western countries and, and established a Latvian church abroad. And in Soviet time, uh, the church was very much oppressed. So what does that mean? I joined the church, I think it was, I was ordained 1985. Uh, I, my first uh, career was teacher of chemistry. I had graduated from university as a chemist, worked as a teacher of chemistry, and then uh, my headmaster learned that I go to church. It was a, a bit more complex, uh, but simply put, uh, they I was fired immediately, even though I was the only teacher of chemistry in a big, big school. And they left. Uh, she was not mean to me personally. She was afraid. Uh, she said, well, we, nobody wants problems. Just go. And then I washed windows in the railway station. I was working in uh, cleaning of, the, of sewers. Uh, this was where quite, um, many Christians worked. So it's a good company. And, you know, sometimes people ask me, uh, what was the feeling be, being uh, uh, thrown from a position of teacher to a sewers cleaner? Well, that was very liberating. Uh, finally, I could go to church and not look around for spies, you know. Nobody, they couldn't do much worse to me. Uh, yeah, well, m one of my friends, or some of my friends have been uh, imprisoned, uh, but, uh, well, they were maybe more outspoken or more active than I was even. And uh, so, <clears throat> and uh, then I started to study theology after I was uh, kicked out from my school. It overlapped a bit, but then I studied theology. And uh, the studies of theology were also quite uh, limited because when Latvia was occupied by communists, all church gatherings were forbidden, except of services. And uh, then, in, I think it was only in the 60s, where we received the permit to have one pastoral conference in a, in a year. And I remember these conferences. The KGB men came first and gave a lecture about political issues and instructions how to behave. Uh, as a good Soviet citizen, and then he was sitting there and making notes who is saying what. So that was the atmosphere. Uh, but uh, we uh, got a permission to, uh, to uh, 
we have three, uh, three days of seminar, uh, seminary uh, per month. First, it was just one lecture per year, but gradually, when I started study theology, we had per, uh, permission to gather for three, uh, three days a month to study theology. So we read books and made exams. Uh, so this was about so, uh, the Lutheran confessions were not uh, translated into Latvian, uh, so we had only a few books, and mostly our materials we were studying from were typewritered. Uh, so this was called that somewhat illegal activity that people typewritered the books in few copies and they gave from hand to hand. And so <laughs> it was quite romantic. We met in the forests on Saturdays uh, and on the line between Riga, regional, rural area of Riga surroundings and the city. And there was this black market of books, and when the milits or the police came from the city side, they moved over to the, uh, it, uh, out of their territory, and then they just uh, uh, left, us, left us alone. And when they were coming from the other side, so everybody moved. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was a bit romantic, even though it was also somewhat scary. I remember I have been brought in for interviewing by KGB, I think some five or six times. And the first time was, I was still uh, working in the school, and uh, we were four close friends from university, and we were talking that we would make a movie, we would film some negative things, some bad things which happen in Riga. I told we didn't have a plan what to do with this movie, we just thought we could make it. And can, can you imagine, we were four closest friends, and one of us was informer, and that was, and, and this is soon. <laughs> and then uh, I received a phone call to the school, and somebody told me, you know, we would like to offer you an opportunity. You could visit schools and tell about the uh, faculty of chemistry and uh, motivate uh, stu pupils, uh, students to go and study chemistry, and you could receive some salary for that, that would be a very good uh, thing to do. Oh, I was quite uh, um, so enjoyed uh, or about th such a perspective. It was interesting and some return, some money also helped. So I went to university and there was, I was met by the man. He told me, well, I'm uh, actually, we are not uh, talking about uh, uh, motivating pupils for chemistry. We're talking now about politics. I'm an officer of KGB. Uh, you know, that was a bad surprise. And it was exceedingly unpleasant uh, conversation. Uh, uh, they wanted, to, he wanted me to tell something about other people. I said I could say something about myself, but I wouldn't tell anything about anything, anybody else. So we had this discussion, and then at the end he asked me, do you have any questions? And I, it didn't come to anything better to my mind, I asked him, do you love your profession? <laughs> and, he said, and he said, oh well, every country has a secret service, so it's Okay, and, uh, 
But that was, he was a bit confused, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, every candidate for ordination was met by a KGB. Uh, my uh, decision about my ordination came very somehow unexpectedly. Uh, there was a vacancy, five congregations without pastor. They picked me. I had made one exam in seminary uh, in psychology of religion. <laughs> and I had to go uh, to five congregations Christmas time to be a pastor. Uh, well, that was a situation. The lack of clergy was so great. So, and one evening I was living in my, I was uh, in my home and there's, and they, it came, the decision came so quickly they didn't manage to bring me in. So I got a knock on the door and KGB officer was there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who it was, who, who he was. I said, just come in, come in, come in. Because uh, it was winter time and it was difficult to warm up the room so don't keep the door open. Come in! <laughs> and then he told what he, who, who he was. So once in a while... We had those encounters and nobody knew actually who, who of us succumbed, so to say, and, and agreed to be informer because they always had something to threaten you with. And we never knew who is among us informer. And this was somehow creating a lot of loneliness and mistrust between brothers in, in, in ministry. And then, uh, but... Uh, but still, yeah, well, I worked uh, for many years, not many years, uh, for eight years in, in uh, five congregations. Uh, these were very beautiful years. And this was a good time because I was ordained and, and uh, commissioned uh, to ministry in 1985. That was already the beginning of Gorbachev's opening. Yeah, you know, they, they were still... Uh, there were still some dangers, but that was not Stalin's time or Khrushchev's time when I started. So it was a beautiful time. Uh, and then the changes came also in the country. And uh, we organized a group of resistance uh, with an aim to uh, free our church from the influence of KGB and the state. Some, uh, and I remember we had our first meeting again somewhere in the forest near Riga. We decided to go to forest. <laughs> and uh, uh, one of us uh, had uh, prepared some documents uh, which we would sign or I don't remember what the purpose was. And it took maybe 10-15 minutes we were surrounded by police. And they came and were showing their guns, you know, very so brave and asking, asking, what are you doing here? And we were quite nervous at that moment, but uh, there was one who uh, had spent five years in prison, uh, and so he was more relaxed with the police. He, he had experiences. Oh, we are talking. And while he was entertaining those policemen, so the, the brother with the document somehow sneaked behind and threw it away in the bush so they didn't find on us anything. So they uh, fined us for damaging the greens. <laughs> <laughs> so, but this was how the church uh, lived and worked. 
And when the changes came, then this was like an explosion, like a lid was, uh, had been removed, and we, we managed to uh, open 200 new, uh, 100 new congregations in, within two years. Uh, and uh, we were able to ordain four new pastors. So <laughs> I had a colleague who was uh, serving in 14 congregations. He died quite soon. Uh, uh, but this was a beautiful time, really, really. This was, uh, I was a very successful missionary at that time. Uh, <laughs> Uh, my church attendance, my parish grew six times within uh, one year, I think. What was my very smart mission uh, plan or method? I put a poster on the marketplace that I'm giving lectures on Bible in, in Latin, that hall. And they came. <laughs> and I baptized them one by one. <laughs> so that was so easy at that time. <laughs> so, uh, that was beautiful, and and then uh, we had uh, also new uh, contacts with good people from, uh, for instance, Norway. I had my personal friends from Norway, missionaries, uh, who helped us greatly, and they came and taught us how to organize the parish work, how to evangelize from door to door, or do things, and it was so. Popular and people were coming to my parish where it happened to all the region to listen to them. Then we thought we must found a school. Have you been in St. Gregor's in, in Saldus? No, uh, yeah, well, we built a big school uh, for this purpose. But then, of course, this honeymoon ends. That's like in a marriage. A honeymoon ends. <laughs> Do you want it or not? And the contacts to the West were not always uh, so beautiful and so positive. It was a bit a cultural shock to encounter um, the liberal Lutherans from uh, Latvians up abroad. They grew up in different countries, Western countries. They, their pastors were trained mostly in liberal schools. And so they were talking things which were really shocking for us because in in our situation to have a Bible was a risk. You could lose your job for that if you have was if you were found with a Bible, uh, and so people actually uh, had a position that Bible is a God's word and it is better to go to prison with it than to live without it. So this was very clear decision to belong to the church and now they are coming and saying yeah no you know well, don't take it so seriously that's not the word of god that's just a kind of collection of memories of of that time uh, how people believed and and so on i exaggerate a little bit but this encounter was also quite uh, unnerving and disturbing and uh, they were somehow since we do not have doctors or masters of theology at that time, and uh, then they, uh, their people uh, came in with those degrees and opened the faculty at the university where our pastors were supposed to uh, be trained, and it pictured the future for our church I was not happy about. 
and nobody, n most of people were not happy about uh, the direction where it went. And uh, then in 1993, my predecessor died in a car accident. And uh, by some miracle, uh, me as a pastor in province from a small town, with experience of seven years in ministry, I was elected to be the archbishop of the entire church. It was like I inherited the planet. <laughs> <laughs> what to do with it? I was sitting, I was, two days ago I was uh, in my parish, and now I'm sitting in archbishop's office with not, no clue what to do, you know. <laughs> And there was pretty hostile environment around me uh, because uh, there were some other candidates supported by the people up from abroad. Uh, but uh, then we heard some like fairy tales that somewhere in the world, in America, is such Lutheran Church Missouri Synod <laughs> who still believes uh, that Bible is the word of God and who believe in Lutheran confessions. So I was keen to, to get a contact with, uh, with that Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and it started gradually, yes, and uh, the, mm, the seminary in Fort Wayne was very supportive also. Uh, the uh, seminary in St. Louis and uh, there was a man, Wallace Schultz, maybe if you heard. Not a brave heart, but... <laughs> uh, but, but he was uh, with Lutheran Hour, I think Lutheran's layman's ministry and so. And he uh, lived in Latvia and he helped to arrange those contacts. Uh, and uh, so gradually it grew until in, 19, in 2001, we entered in full fellowship with Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. How it was possible, uh, because there was a moment when I realized that we have to take our education back. We cannot go on with training of pastors in the university where they come back and they hate our church, actually, and they are totally different in their perceptions. So we founded the Luther Academy. And the, our first move was it was 1995, I, I guess. We had uh, LWF assembly in uh, uh, Hong Kong. And uh, so we had applied for support from Lutheran World Federation. And then uh, came a lady from Latvia and said uh, that we are not going to ordain women there from this Lutheran uh, institution from our, our Lutheran Academy and then uh, the assembly in Hong Kong did what an assembly never does. They voted on one specific project. It is not what uh, um, assemblies does do, but uh, they just threw out our project of Luther Academy. And uh, hooray! <laughs> <laughs> There was an observer from Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, uh, Dr. Semnevsky, and uh, he was so annoyed about how it happened. So, well, he offered uh, your support to the project, and there was Schwann Foundation who came in generously, 
and so we founded our own Luther Academy. And I think this was the most important decision in my, in my bishop's ministry, uh, to take back our education. And this really uh, made the church as it is now. Uh, without this, we could not do this. Yeah, what else can we say now? Uh, today, to, uh, nowadays, we, uh, I think we have the same challenges as you do, uh, because uh, 50 years of atheism have left much uh, deeper imprints and, uh, and, and yeah, imprints than we originally uh, thought. The, the, the uh, uh, society is pretty much secularized, uh, and if in Soviet period the materialism was a kind of enforced ideology, now it's embraced as a choice, and it's not materialism in philosophical, philosoph philosophical terms, but materialism in love for things, for, for, for material goods. Uh, which is the, maybe the priority of many, many people. Uh, we start to experience same things as you do with what uh, uh, Jordan Peterson, if you know whom I'm talking about, uh, he calls uh, postmodern neo-Marxism. And uh, this is actually quite amazing that it is coming back, this Marxist type of uh, thinking. Uh, the uh, um, identity politics, uh, which uh, hates Christianity, basically. But uh, we are still uh, standing strong, and what is the feature in Latvia that, uh, and I know that this is somewhat different here, uh, that uh, we do not uh, have this um, uh, the reservations against praying together with other denominations or churches. Uh, there are very close relationships in Latvia between Lutherans, Roman Catholics, Orthodox, Baptists, even Adventists and, and Evangelicals. So uh, last time when our uh, Supreme Court uh, decided that our parliament must uh, create legislation giving the rights for same-sex marriages and then 13 different church leaders were united to speak out against it. So, uh, in a way, now we have the same challenges as you face here. The cultural wars are not so maybe outspoken as I have heard here and observed here, but it's still the same because, uh, well, it's like pandemic, it's like a virus, it spreads. If it's taking place in one, one country, then soon it go to other countries. And uh, our challenge and our thought-provoking situation is how to preach the gospel to that kind of uh, uh, society. And I uh, experienced it very, in a very clear way. I visited the school. When I visit congregations, I normally try to get into school too to meet the students there and teachers. And I visited one school uh, with a distance of five or six years. I remember the first time 
the hall was full and I was talking and uh, the students were, you know, with bright eyes following, engaging and so on. Uh, after five or six years I was same school, different people. I was talking more or less same things. That was, you know, no, no connection whatsoever. And so then I thought, I'm too old now. <laughs> uh, we have to find younger people to uh, uh, find uh, to motivate younger generation to take over. So, and uh, this is what we are now trying to do: to create new approaches, how to preach the gospel for today's society. Thank you. That was it. Bishop will be around after the 11 o'clock service for those who are, are coming to 11 o'clock if you have any uh, quick questions. Um, uh, I can't remember if you mentioned, but his daughter does live in Chicago, so he's going to be seeing her later today, so we can't keep him too long after the, the late service. But um, and by the way, uh, Bishop was very modest in a lot of the things he just said in ter- from the, uh, the history of occupation um, you, you just, you probably just can Google and read about Latvia, but just imagine a, a group of people, a, an ethnic group of people who have the same language, but were never able to self-rule until 1918. I mean, that, that's extraordinary to think about always being ruled by the Swedes, the Russians, the Germans. Did the Lithuanians ever, uh, or Polish ever rule Latvia too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So from that to uh, just the, the amount of sacrifices made during the occupation by the communists, too. And then, of course, the struggles that he faces today. So it was a, uh, thank you so much for, for taking time to come and speak to us. Uh, also, the miter. Thank you for wearing the miter. Gives us something to... You just look good. It looked it look great. So. <laughs> All right, well, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.